Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Managing Editor James Kleiman to talk about the fifth largest reverse mortgage lender filing for Chapter 11, drama around EPM's sponsorships, and Ryan Gorman leaving anywhere. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it. Good to be with you. Love having you on. We've got some really big stories to talk about today. So the first one that I wanted to talk about was our deep dive into reverse mortgage funding, which is the nation's fifth largest reverse lender, which was forced into Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And, you know, we broke the story, the first story about their huge layoffs like a week ago, something like that. And then the the bankruptcy occurred and your team has done a deep dive here that I think is really interesting. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a sad story, of course, um, that this is one of the more prominent reverse mortgage lenders out there it is the fifth biggest in the space, um, also the, the biggest uh, holder of owned MSRs in the reverse industry period. Uh, so they're, they're a really serious, significant company in the space. They've been around since 2012. Uh, they do a lot of senior outreach and education. They are, they have been a force. And, and so we spent about a week, you know, from, from when we first heard that the bankruptcy proceedings through Chapter 11 in Delaware were happening, we decided to do as, as close as we possibly can to, I guess, if, if you want to be morbid, a, a you know, <laughs> kind of an autopsy, right? Like, or, or you know, I, I guess you could also just say just an analysis of, of what went wrong and, uh, you know, what sort of steps were taken to address the problems, to fix it. And then most importantly, I think, Sarah, is, is to really take a look at the conditions that ended up causing RMF to fail and whether those conditions are present for the rivals in this space. And, and you know, when, when I look at this story, I think a lot back to the spring when we started to hear about a lot of these non-QM lenders struggling. And then suddenly, you know, one day you're originating loans and you're, you're doing deals and, and everything seems normal. And then the next day, you get called into a conference room and everybody loses their job. There's no severance or, you know, nothing. And then, you know, the whole operation is dead. Right. So a lot of the problems that affected non-QM in the spring that caused first guarantee mortgage to fold, that caused Sprout to die a pretty quick death. Uh, although some would argue that it's still in something of a zombie form. Um, those conditions are, are very much in effect for some of the major players in the reverse space. And so a lot of it comes back. You can trace many of the problems uh, to the Fed rate hikes that started in March. And the reverse industry, very much like the forward industry, has been very, very reliant on revenues from refis. And refis, heckam the heckam, have really dried up. They're they're much, much lower than they used to be. And, and so consequently, uh, that puts a lot of pressure on on these companies to get the securitization, the capital market strategy correct, and there's just not much liquidity there. You know, similar to the forward market, if you can't sell the loans for par, you either hold them or you eat a loss. And it's a little bit more complicated and difficult in Heckam where it's a Gini securitization, 
And and there are certain covenants and requirements. And, and one of the requirements is you need to keep a certain level of liquidity um, to stay in the good graces of Ginny May. Uh, that did not happen for for this company. And, and you know, the leaders at at uh, at RMF did try to negotiate. They tried to buy time. They ended up receiving a $50 million loan from their parent company, Starwood Capital Group, uh, affiliates, you know, entities of Starwood. Um, Starwood, at the end of the day, is the owner of, of this reverse mortgage lender. And it's, it's Starwood and its investors that are going to be losing out on quite a bit of money when it's all said and done. But, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a story, I, I think, of, of kind of you know, the perfect storm. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Uh, in spite of Mark Wahlberg being in the movie, it's, it's actually a great movie. And the book from- Hey, no hate great. on Mark Wahlberg. I I'm love sorry. him. I'm sorry. He's just awful. I, I cannot believe that man is famous. Nevertheless, uh, it was a perfect storm. You know, this is a company- that um, in in some respects is is a victim of of just the larger macroeconomic environment, and they were not able to keep enough liquidity going, and uh, you know their main revenue generating channels and credit facilities just collapsed. You know their warehouse lenders said <laughs> this you can't do that, and and that put them. Uh, basically in a debt spiral. And so what we have now is they're undergoing bankruptcy through chapter 11 and they are, it, it looks like they're going to be offloading pretty much all of their servicing to another lender, Longbridge. And what happens next is unclear, but we have at least 472 people who are out of work. We have one of the biggest players in this space that within the course of a week, you know, in, in some respects just disappeared. And, and then, and now we have an industry that, that needs to, you know, really look very carefully at their balance sheets and see if they have some of the same problems. The people we spoke to in the reverse space say, look, you know, th- this company ran a few red lights, this, Bankruptcy does not mean that we are suddenly going to drop dead tomorrow. Um, we, we are more carefully managed. We uh, have been more conservative. Even in the summer, uh, RMF was, was really the only lender that was still really pushing a proprietary uh, reverse mortgage product. The others said, you know what, we're, we're going to press pause on that. We're going to be a little bit more conservative. We're going to go back to more durable uh, revenue models. And um, RMF didn't do that. And, and it was only a few weeks later that, that really the leaders <laughs> saw what was going on on the, on the balance sheet and, and started taking very, very quick action. Uh, but ultimately, it, it just wasn't enough to save it. And, and sources of ours say that Starwood really didn't want to continue to throw good money after bad. And they've got a lot of other larger issues, you know, and, and these are management funds. So this is just one investment from you know, a, a corporation that has hundreds, maybe thousands of different, you know, investments and in, in different, different investor pools. So it's, um, it's a tough story. I, I, I don't think that we, we have a systemic problem. I don't think that we're going to be reporting uh, tomorrow that another major lender in the reverse space is going under. Um, but, but make no mistake, you know, what happened to RMF is those conditions are still very much present for every other lender out there. 
every other lender is struggling with originations. Everyone else has challenges with liquidity. It's not like anybody is, you know, doing great with with uh, the securitizations. So um, tough, tough spot. And, and there are a lot of questions that people are asking about Ginny and and its policies, you know, related to the Heckam program. I think this is the genesis of why we wanted to do a deep dive into this was because to to find out, was this a failure of the particular management or something they did, or was this more of a systemic risk that everybody is facing, whether they're forward or reverse? And I felt like the article does a great job of really outlining here are the exact things that led to this, this bankruptcy and and these people losing their jobs? And what what issues are just more systemic, like you said, that everybody is facing right now? Yeah. And and like I said, you know, nobody's thriving right now in in forward or reverse. I mean, even when we look at forward, we talk about UWM having, you climb the mountain and they're now number one in originations. The way they've gotten there is is by cutting their rates and taking as little on margin as they can possibly get. And in some cases, almost definitely eating, you know, eating losses, right? So um, nobody is is like, hey, things are great. We're, we're singing Kumbaya by the fire. Um, but, but I think in, in the case of RMF, certainly the, the consensus among their rivals and, and some people uh, on staff, well, no longer on staff, but, but very recently on staff is that they, they could have been more carefully managed um, they did miss some some warning signs, and by the time they really did take uh, action, it was just a little bit too little, too late. And uh, they they did try to sell the company, they tried to sell assets, they tried to sell the entire apparatus, and there were no takers. So we don't know what the prices they were asking for. Um, but but it's fair to say, you know, the, at the end of the day, the the problem was liquidity, and they just didn't have the liquidity to keep operations going, uh, to keep the covenants of you know the, the agreements that they have with the warehouse lenders, other creditors uh, going. And and at a certain point, you know, you need funding. You need they they would need another another line from Starwood or another outside funding source to keep going. And it just there was no, from what we can tell, based on the bankruptcy filings. Uh, wasn't much desire for that to happen. Well, I wanted to give kudos to you and your team. And, you know, the reporters on that, the writers on that are um, Bill Conroy and Chris Clow. And our readers, our listeners can find it on Reverse Mortgage Daily. But really, I mean, I feel like what you guys did so well there was giving us a real forensic look at at the finances, but also tying it into, you know, getting interviews with people who were in the room when different things happened and giving really color to this is this is the way it went down, which I thought was really interesting and and brought a whole new element to the story. Thanks. And you know, the, the sad thing is we we only ever really get this level of detail when something goes wrong like this. You know, it's usually through lawsuits or through bankruptcy proceedings or uh, you know, other, other serious legal consequences that, that you get to see everything that happened, you know, and, and let's say there were some, some signs of distress at another rival lender. They're not going to tell us, right? Like, right. Nobody's calling me up and saying, Hey, just want to let you know, James, uh, uh, hope you're having a good Thursday. Also, uh, this company that I'm running, it, it is, yeah, it, it is a fiery plane crash. We're, we're going to be we're going to be done in in forty eight hours. So get your pen and pad out. You know, I, I, so I, I do want to caution that um, the the people that we did speak to in the reverse space 
some might be underplaying the severity or the risk that is present. You know, uh, certainly a few of them were, were pretty um, clear out about it and said, look, this is this is definitely, there are troubling elements in this space right now. And anyone who tells you otherwise uh, either isn't paying attention or is lying to themselves or you, probably you, but, uh, but, but nevertheless, you know, it's, it's, this is the only lender that we saw uh, completely uh, go down in flames. And, and there's been a lot of movement in this space recently, you know, so, so Chris just reported, uh, I also helped a little bit with this story uh, that, AAG, which is the biggest lender in this space by far, too, by the way, uh, is being uh, effectively absorbed by uh, FOA, which just abandoned the forward space. And in in you know their filings from the third quarter, there was a lot of red on the forward operations, but they did pretty well in reverse. They they notched, I think it was something like thirty five million dollar profit, thirty four million, something like that. So. You know, it's um, it's it's still a really dynamic area. I think there's going to be a lot more M and A, uh, because we're, we're talking very thin margins, both in forward reverse, and um, it's it's tough because the way the Heckam program is structured, they need to keep a lot more money on the books, and liquidity is at a premium right now. So I I don't think this is the last move that we've seen. And, uh, you know, we, we now have the number one and number three lender that are combined, the number fifth, the number five lender that just exited. And what happens next is uh, it, it's going to be worth watching, I think. I agree with you. And, and that's why I was so excited to see this deep dive, because that's what we can provide to our audience, right? Is like we do. To, to your point, the people you reached out to, all the other forward, uh, reverse lenders who are like, oh, no, this is what it is. It's like, okay, well, what we can do is lay out the conditions that led to this and, you know, look through. I mean, you guys did a deep dive into all the all the documents over a week's time, really pouring through just like hundreds of pages of documents to figure out what happened. And, and that's all we can do is, is say, this is what happened in this case and let people look at their own companies or other companies and and see what might happen there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I wanted to talk about um, another really interesting, although sad. Again, we we take uh, we take no pleasure in these stories, but you was um, bad news today, huh? Yeah, we did. I hate that. You know, I hate that. Uh, Flavia, though, Flavia Furlan Nunez, who uh, is our senior mortgage reporter, um, reported on um, Equity Prime Mortgage. And kind of the the messiness there with their sports sponsorship, which I think is just, you know, it's kind of top of mind right now, I think, for most people because of what happened with FTX. And you see that like this company that maybe got way over their skis when it comes to uh, a sports sponsorship and how that happens. And um, we have a lot of sports sponsorships in in the mortgage industry and real estate. And, you know, I'm not saying any of those are over their skis, but I'm just saying that the whole idea of why this makes sense for a company and what that looks like, I think that this is a, a really interesting story for that. I think so too. Yeah. It's, um, it's a story that we saw uh, through the court system in Florida. And uh, I want to start off by saying that um, the case was actually dismissed on a technicality without prejudice. And so the judge in the case in South Florida says that the plaintiffs uh, need to establish uh, jurisdiction and they have until Monday to do so. So it is entirely possible that this case does not um, end up moving forward, or if it does, it 
you know, finds itself through a different courtroom somewhere in the U.S. Uh, but but in terms of the salient facts of the case, at least those of which that are described in the lawsuit, um, they're they're pretty interesting. So in 2021, when you know things were still going pretty well in the mortgage market, and uh, you know, I, I feel like 2021 was actually the best year ever, right? I mean. It was it was like four trillion dollars. It was a little bit more purchase than than it had been the previous year, and and so a lot of companies were especially interested in in scale and growing. And EPM, which you know, I, I think they're mostly known really for their broker business, um, is is very interested in, in getting bigger and and you know getting their name out there. And one of the best ways to do that is through sports marketing. You know, Lone Depot has a baseball stadium. Uh, name in, I believe it's in Miami, right? Lone Depot Park or something. Uh, Guaranteed rate field in Chicago uh, where the White Sox play. We have Rocket. Rocket has a bunch, right? I mean, UWM sponsors like, I don't know, like individual teams somehow, or they have patches on like Michigan State. They're they're all all kinds, right? This is is nothing new in the industry. And, And I think collectively, I mean, these companies spend like tens of millions of dollars a year on this kind of marketing. And so they must believe that this is good exposure. And so uh, in this particular case, EPM reached an agreement with Jesse Iwuji Motorsports. And effectively, they said, look, give us the number 34 car for the NASCAR Xfinity Series. And we're going to throw our logo all over the thing. And we're going to appear in you know promotional material with you. And uh, for that, we'll pay you $2.25 million over the first year of the contract, which started in December of 2021. And then the sponsorship would increase to $3.75 million in the second year, which uh, was to start December 1, 2022. So a week ago, right? Uh, But the lawsuit that was filed in uh, U.S. District Court in Florida, essentially says that EPM committed a, a breach of contract because they basically just stopped paying. So uh, the motorsports team alleges that in, I want to say it was October, they got a call from an executive at EPM. And or, I'm sorry, late September, the executive told them, look, we're not going to be making a sponsorship payment for October or any month after that because we got margin called. And, uh, and and we're suffering due to the mortgage rate hikes. And uh, and so the motorsports team sends a notice of intent to terminate the sponsorship agreement. They give EPM 30 days to remedy the issues. And uh, EPM, according to the lawsuit, doesn't take any action, despite, you know, the car still being featured at races and, and all that. So um, it's... I believe they're seeking $4.125 million, uh, you know, for, for non-payment effectively. And EPM is not a huge company. You know, they're, I'd say they're a mid-sized lender. They did a little over a billion dollars in business last year. Their volume, like everybody else, is declining right now. And we have not independently confirmed that they did receive a margin call, but certainly we have heard from multiple sources that say things are difficult at EPM right now, and and they're they're looking to make changes. You know what those changes are. We're, we're not ready to quite report yet, um, but 
but yeah, I mean, EPM is is like a lot of other lenders. They they do market. They they do have uh, you know advertising plans that are probably no longer in motion, right? And and for a lot of companies now, it's just survival, absolute survival. And uh, unless you're really big and you have the scale to do it, I, I think guaranteed rate is probably going to remain uh, the, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's going to remain guaranteed rate field in Chicago. I think the the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse or whatever it is, is is going to remain so in Cleveland. You know, I, this, this is a smaller lender. They don't have the flexibility. They don't have access to credit like a guaranteed rate or a Rocket or UWM have. I think what it really means, Sarah, is is if you're Rocket Mortgage or Loan Depot or uh, Guaranteed Rate or, or one of these major players whose uh, business model is really built on the back of, of large-scale sports marketing, you're probably fine. I, I don't think anyone is is going to go to Guaranteed Rate Field uh, in, in April and find that suddenly it's been renamed, you know, Hot Dog Alley Stadium. You know, it's, it's currently <laughs> Guaranteed Rate Field. And, um, and, but, but it does really underscore some of the bigger troubles for the more mid-sized, smaller lenders um, who still need to advertise. You, you still you need to achieve a certain skill, scale in mortgage lending to, to keep operations going. And uh, it's, it's certainly, I think, worth watching if this is happening to EPM, you know, a lender that's just over a billion dollars last year. Um, it's going to be tough if your margins are already pretty small. And and you can't afford two hundred grand a you know a month, um, that that could be the difference between profitability and not. And then a margin call is very bad news for a lender. Absolutely, and I think you know this goes back to um, what we talked about with the uh, reverse lenders and and their trouble. Like I think everyone knew. Like listen, everyone knew twenty one was was a crazy good. Uh, mortgage year and everyone knew that that was going to be coming to an end in the sense of like, there's no way we could keep that refi wave. But I do think the speed and the intensity of the Fed rate hikes, what it, it was just uh, unprecedented. And I do think that even if you were planning for like, okay, you know, it's going to be a, a harder year. It was really hard to see how fast that was going to happen. Yeah. The, the sharpness is really what does it. You know, I think a lot of mortgage lenders would in a vacuum be able to operate, you know, if rates are at 6% and the secondary market, you know, is, is still going or if the Fed is still buying MBS and the spreads aren't insane, uh, you know, that that's still a relatively understandable position and, and one that you can navigate. But, but if, I mean, we see rates all over the place. We see spreads all over the place for the last what, like seven months or so, seven, eight months. Um, and that that makes it really, really, really difficult. And not everybody is has built a business that is durable enough, um, you know, or, or is flexible enough or, or has, uh, you know, has the funding uh, to weather losses for a few quarters. So it's concerning. And, and look, we, we know already that there is going to be some consolidation. I, I'm not saying that EPM is going to go under or anything like that. Um, I, I know Eddie Perez is a smart guy and and he's he's been at this for quite some time. Um, but it's definitely going to be a challenge if you're a smaller lender. If you do under a billion dollars, there's almost no way that you're going to do what you did last year. And so um, purchase business is the name of the game right now. And 
and you have to achieve, you know, a pretty high rate, pretty high hit rate, you know, every, every loan counts. Right. So, um, I, I am, I am going to be watching it very closely. I know that our reporters are going to be watching it very closely. Uh, I think the story of the next two quarters is going to be a lot more M&A, a lot more consolidation. Um, you know, that's, that's inevitable. There's just, the margins are too thin. The secondary market is frozen for a lot of lenders and you just, most, many cannot operate in that environment. In the meantime, sports fans like me, I, I actually lived at one point about two miles away from the Texas Motor Speedway. So um, I have been to my fair share of NASCAR races of different types. Um, I, I would assume, James, that that is not your background, but I don't know. I don't want to assume you live, in, uh, you live in New York City, so maybe I'm wrong. No, nope, never done it. I, I went to a monster <laughs> truck rally once at Madison Square Garden, okay. and that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, same energy uh, in, in some ways. So in, in the meantime, sports fans are, you know, maybe going to see less of the mortgage ads. Um, I did I did want to bring up one other story, which, again, I feel like this is unfortunately like a or just just some interesting shakeup news over at Anywhere Real Estate. Uh, we had a big exit there um, just a few days ago. Tell me about that. Yeah, Ryan Gorman, Coldwell Banker, he's out. And uh, the, the timing is really interesting in this. He was he was just on Real Trends like like an hour or two before uh, the news came out that that he was he was gone from from Coldwell Banker, uh, you know, a, a company that he's led for years now, and, and he's a very popular figure in the industry. He's very well known. You know, he's he's one of the most visible CEOs in the real estate brokerage space, and so I, I think for a lot of people, it's very much a surprise. Uh, but but it also underscores just the bigger issues and strategic changes happening at Anywhere, which is a real estate conglomerate with a lot of brands, and and has you know in, in the past kind of suffered from an an identity problem, like. Okay, well, what's Coldwell Banker versus what's Sotheby's versus what's you know Corcoran versus what's Better Home and Gardens? Like you, you have all these brands, but but what what separates them? You know, and a lot of them compete with one another too, which is you know an, an awkward arrangement in some cases, right? So so you you have this situation where I want to say the stock is down like fifty seven percent or was at the time of his um, ouster, and they were definitely looking to make some changes. And Ryan even spoke to some of those changes that were, were going to happen. Um, I don't think he thought that he would be the change, um, but, but that's, that's where we are. And, and, you know, when you get to that level uh, you know, as an executive, these are high stakes. These are investors who are going to put pressure on boards. And if, if they don't feel like you're the fit or the one, to lead the company, you know, through what right now is a, a really, really, really difficult time. Um, there's not a lot of sentiment, you know, you'll, you'll find yourself on the outs. So, so Ryan is, he's, he's no longer going to be running Coldwell Banker. And, and there were a few other changes as well. Uh, Katrine Helpkamp is also leaving. And uh, on the ascendants are, are Sue Yannickone and Don Casey. And so uh, Sue is going to be, she, she's currently, the uh, the Anywhere Brands president and CEO, and so she leads basically the whole portfolio, which is like Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate, Century Twenty One, Corcoran, ERA, Sotheby's as well. And so now she's also going to have Coldwell Banker, uh, kind of within her domain. And um, you know, it's 
it's a tough business and and you know i don't know if uh the shakeup at anywhere is even done yet you know there there still could be a lot of changes this is a a very very big company you know there are a lot of different executives or a lot of people um at different levels who you know maybe maybe they find a new role that that really um you know is suited to their their strengths and and what the business needs right now are um but there are certainly in the brokerage world there there is a thought that there's a lot of fat at anywhere and and that um they they expect some cuts to be made so well, we talk about, you know, the fact that, you know, the housing industry is in a recession. The housing industry, housing total, I mean, that's real estate, mortgage, title, appraisal. Everybody feels it. So it's it's not surprising, especially when you have one of these giant brands, like you said, that's so distributed, like as they try to figure out what is what do their margins look like in this environment? And, you know, we're fingers crossed that we're we're we've hit the top of the uh mortgage rates that we're gonna see and and that we might see much lower coming, but as you said, good reason. I think that. we will. You know, I, probably not the first quarter. It's it's traditionally a slower period for real estate anyway. But you know, if if you see, let's hope, let's let's cross our fingers. But let's say rates get back into the fives. You know, they're they're kind of like in the the sixes to mid sixes right now. You could absolutely see if the Fed decides to to really pull a K turn that. Um, very possibly we could see rates, you know, in the upper fives to mid fives in the next three months. And and that that could really create good conditions for a spring buyer market, right? You know what? We are going to end on that positive note, James, because, <laughs> you know, we had to talk about a lot of hard things today. And um, I appreciate you and your team really digging deep on some of these things to give insight to our readers and to our audience. Um, if people want to reach you, they can just email James at hwmedia.com. Any tips, any any story ideas, comments, questions, astute observations, we, we accept them all. Um, but I just want to say thanks for being on. Cool. Well, thanks again for having me, Sarah. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW Plus answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insights.